equivalent or indeed any Irish people living in Ukraine or anyone listening in Ukraine that would uh, like to talk to us because um, today looks like it's a very critical day. The Polish Air Force have put up uh, fighter jets over Warsaw because they're worried about Russia as well because Vladimir Putin recently blamed Poland for starting uh, the Second World War and also, as you probably know, Poland is pivotal. It's got the biggest army out there as well, besides Russia, obviously. Um, but Poland is pivotal in encouraging the likes of Ukraine uh, and other countries, not just to join NATO, but to, um, you know, Ukraine isn't in NATO, but to not just to join NATO, but to join the EU. So they're seeing uh, that situation. And as anyone who looked up Vox Pops on the streets of uh, Kiev, um, the, the Ukrainian people... Uh, vast majority of them are saying one, they don't want anything to do with Russia. Well, they fought. Was it 30, 1990, this weekend, 1990, 400,000 people joined hands in Ukraine against the Russian uh, occupation, as they called it, of Ukraine. Now, as you know, the wall fell, was falling around that time and the Russians were gone shortly thereafter. So I don't think they're uh, going to sit back, unfortunately, from their own point of view against the might of the... Uh, the Russian army. Okay, and then the Russians announced uh, that they are uh, having a, a naval exercise, a massive naval uh, exercise, uh, closer to Kerry than Kinsale is to Dublin uh, in two weeks' time. 240k off the Kerry coast, a major uh, naval. Now, of course, it's not an Irish territorial water to be a be a major outcry though we haven't much hope against Russia we're not members of NATO we have no backup so to speak um, but they, they are clo- it'll be closer to uh, Kerry as I say the landmass of Ireland than Kinsale is to Dublin that's how close it is and it's in a space airspace obviously that we control because of our Shannon and then the work our air traffic control over that part of the world and we're going to, planes are going to have to be diverted. Now, we're contacted by Sean O'Callan, who's a marine biologist. Sean, good afternoon. How you doing? An, an angle on this, I don't think anyone has thought of on this Russian. They will be firing live missiles, testing. It's, a, it's a, an exercise, as they call it. What's your concern? Yeah, exactly, Joe. It's, uh, this is uh, quite different to the, to the usual take. Um, as a marine biologist, I'm quite concerned about the effect of the noise and the impact of these potential explosions, uh, what they might have on uh, marine mammals, so whales mm-hmm. and dolphins, out offshore in our, our waters. Um, the area that the, they're planning on uh, undertaking these exercises is a, a place where we have quite a few uh, sensitive and quite cryptic uh, deep diving species. Okay. So, it's military exercises are, are a known cause of um, uh, stressing these animals out and impacting them severely. So, in other parts of the world, it's it's been linked with uh, huge uh, beachings or strandings of, of whales, whether mm-hmm. they're alive or dead, because they come up too quick from uh, from that depth, and it, it impacts the animal's hearing. It can cause their equivalent of the bends. And it, it, it has the potential to be a, a huge conservation and welfare issue for our offshore whale populations. 
So you think if if the Russians got which they will, no, nothing's going to stop the Russians. They're not going to they're not going to heed what uh, Ireland has to say. Um, but uh, the, if the when the Russians go ahead with this, you're saying uh, mammals, whales will will dead whales will wash up on Irish shores. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a sort of surreal uh, situation to be in. Um, it, it seems well, it, it's pretty much a guarantee if they go ahead with this huge. Mm. Um, exercise using explosives they may well use the likes of uh, active sonar which is often used in these uh, exercises but this is just speculation on my part and what is active um, sonar Sean for those of us who don't study yes. these what is active sonar so sonar is like uh, like we'd see in the films where where, uh, where submarines are being searched for by ah, uh, ships yeah, where okay. submarines are actively looking out for other submarines so so it's, depth, it's a tool that's very used. Depth charges, like depth, what would they call it in the Second World War? Depth, they would drop explosives to the bottom of the sea in, to rehearse or to practice trying to eliminate uh, enemy submarines. That, that was um, sort of the norm in, say, the likes of the Second World War, where, yeah. say, a U-boat could be near the surface, but uh, the technology is there now where we can use sound to penetrate into the... To, water column to look for submarines ah. and it, it's something it's much more high tech yeah. but the, the impact of this extremely loud noise yeah. it, can, uh, you, can you imagine it, it, it affects these animals uh, severely like they, the whales that live in these deep waters are in complete darkness they can travel one to two kilometers down at the bottom of canyons look for food and if they if their hearing is damaged or if they are impacted in any way their ability to find food is completely compromised. So it would be like taking our eyesight away from us if we're, if wow. we're used to this. Uh, or it can kill these animals outright, uh, as has been the case before, where uh, these whales can wash up where uh, blood is coming from their ears or um, okay. uh, an, an awful uh, severe effects on their internal organs. And it's something that has happened in Irish waters before. Uh, so it's an increasing threat uh, to our species. It, it happens so far off our waters we often only get the, an idea of what's going on when the animals wash ashore, but usually they're in a very, very poor state of uh, decomposition. So even trained professionals who go down and uh, dissect these animals mm-hmm. and look for clues of, of acoustic trauma, it's not possible to always do this because they're, they're so degraded. But uh, since uh, December uh, 2014, January 2015, we've seen a big increase in these beaked whales washing up along our coast okay. uh, in, in higher numbers than before. Usually we only ever got an idea that the species was ever there with maybe one or two beachings or strandings per year. But uh, since, since those years, the, the number of these whales has increased dramatically in short periods of time. Okay. The most dramatic one was in 2018 when over 100 of these whales washed up between Ireland and Scotland. And that was the largest event of its kind anywhere in the world. And only last September, the Royal Navy admitted that uh, they had vessels in the area that mm-hmm. the, the whales were predicted and modelled to have died uh, when it happened, because uh, and they Sean, all washed up. But Sean, are you predicting, having having looked at the size of the fleet that's coming uh, to, uh, off Ireland in the next few weeks, the Russian fleet, are you saying this will damage uh, sea life or will be catastrophic for sea life in the area? Oh, undoubtedly, it, it will be catastrophic to uh, marine life in the area. Okay. And it, it, it's not just the marine mammals. There, there could be other species like fish and all other 
sensitive habitats uh, mm-hmm. in our offshore waters that will be affected by this. If you drop an explosion anywhere, it's, it's, it's not going to be good for anything yeah, that's living course, in the course, course. Say with us, Sean, please. Uh, 51551 is the text. Una, good afternoon, Una. I mentioned earlier the Pope has designated Wednesday, <laughs> two days hence, uh, because of the situation in Ukraine and the prospect of war and the invasion by uh, Putin. The Pope has designated Wednesday as the we all to pray, the World Day of Prayer for Peace. Do you think it'll make uh, a difference? I, I think it's absolutely okay, nice for the Pope to say that, but in actual fact, I think it's a waste of time. Because I remember back in our school days, it was a long time ago, that the nuns, every morning, we had to pray for the conversion to Christianity to the, uh, for the Russians. Every morning. I mean, for all my time in school, we had to pray for the conversion of Russians. And I think the Russians do not listen to prayers. They just listen to... Um, they're just... Human Putin is just an unbelievable bully. And he just, money, hit him in the pocket. And I feel that if all, all bank accounts were frozen throughout the world of the Russian accounts, then they'd have, they have reason to sort of say, oh, let's look up the West for taking action, you know. Mm. And I, I think what they're doing is just unbelievable. Unbelievable to the world, um, peace. They're a threat, total threat, and always will be. And Putin is just a despot, you know. And I feel sorry for the people in Russia because I've been there and okay. I have a lot of experience of Russia and the Russian people, and I feel that uh, there's no middle ground there. It's rich and poor. And Putin doesn't give a hoot about West. Whatever threats we put to them, they don't give a hoot. He doesn't give a hoot. And I think what they're doing at the moment is just testing the waters, if you don't mind the pun, and I Mm -hmm. feel that they will invade Ukraine, and we can't do anything about it. Look at the to the Ryanair flight, you know. I mean, they just don't care. Look at the Belarus, journalists. Belarus, Britain, Belarus, we won't yeah. hear from again. Yeah. But Belarus, the same sort of well, thing. Well, they're, 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 they're definitely within Putin's orbit, Belarus is anyway. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and Una, you say your, your, your husband used to have dealings oh, with Russian businesses. That's, uh, oh, that's, that's another... Have you got four hours or five hours? That's a very <laughs> long story. Unbelievable. So, you know, but so mm. much I'm writing a book on it at the moment. And why was it unbelievable? It was unbelievable because um, when he invested in Russia, Moscow particularly, the, um, he didn't know there were Russian partners with a, with a question mark. Mm-hmm. And it turned out as he signed the dotted line in the business, there was um, mafia attached to it. And we dealt with the mafia, I'll tell you. You know, I mean, horrific. Absolutely horrific. It ruined us. And are you it ru- ruined you. Yeah, yeah. And how, how recent was that in the last decade? In ni- 94, 94. 94, after the, when, yeah. after the, the, the wall yeah. came down, so to speak, and yeah. um, things began to crumble. The in East, there. Yeah. yeah. East. Okay, I'm going to say that. Chris, good afternoon. Chris, have you just an, an interest in Russia or an interest in world affairs? Uh, an interest in safety of the whole world and uh, the nerve of Putin trying to bully the whole world at this stage. And tell us how you and, became interested in Russia. Well, oh, um, well, the, 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 um, the camps that they have. And the gulags, yeah. To, yeah. And um, I just um, was reading something uh, a while ago, and I, mm. it was for a poster competition. Okay. And I, was, I entered it, and it was about um, 
trafficking for organs uh, of any okay. people he could imprison and they just would uh, have organs for sale of, of these people like a kidney or a heart or so, whatever it was and that was how they how they um how they thought of them they were just nothing but I think the po- I rang because I think I'm not sorry I, I would be on the religious side mm-hmm. but I think the Pope's pr- day of prayer will people out there well, we'll hi- they, sorry, we missed you there. To- well, well, the Pope's Day of Prayer will highlight the the issue. Yeah, and let yeah. okay. people, and it will it will kind of people get curious and they get to know, and more people will get to know what he's doing and and the threat he has over the world. And he's he, it's gone back to the czars. He is sitting in. Okay, your line is disappearing on me there, Chris. Um, but Chris, I don't know whether you're. Uh, I, I, when did you do the poster competition on the gulags or what was happening in some of the camps? Well, Chris is gone, obviously, because I just read over the weekend that one of the things, the many, many things Putin has done, killed journalists and murdered people in other countries who oppose him. Uh, the other thing he did was he shut down uh, academic, he shut down the archives of the gulags, which had been opened. When around Gorbachev's time, and one of the first things Putin did. Now Putin's in power now for, in effectively in power for well over two decades. One of the first things he did was he shut down uh, access to the archives of the gulags, so uh, they they can't be uh, researched at the minute. Aidy Roach is probably uh, is one of the best known uh, Irish people in terms of our contact with the Ukraine because of Chernobyl, which is in Ukraine, and what happens there if the Russians invade. Aidy, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. I'm delighted to talk to you. And fair due to you for picking up the story and about the human impact potentially of of any conflict in that region. Um, And I actually just, I hadn't known about the Pope's call for the day Mm. of prayer, but I actually think that's a lovely gesture, I suppose, of solidarity, because a lot of the time, ordinary people like us, we feel powerless. There's nothing we can do. And we're kind of, you know, we're sort of on Mm. the sideline. Now, I've worked in this area for almost 36 years, both in Russia, the three countries you've named, Joe, Russia, Belarus and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And what I can say is, first of all, we're talking about beautiful people, people who have an extraordinary history and have a great respect for the peoples of the three regions. And like Ukraine has suffered so much in the past through history, through famines, through colonisation, And then they suffered in 1986 because of Chernobyl. And then they suffered again in 2014 with the invasion into eastern Ukraine. And actually, that's where we are based with our uh, with some of our cardiac work. And I went to that region right after the conflict in 2014. So I've seen it myself, the refugees, the impact on communities. And all I can say, Joe, is we have to avoid war at all costs. It is on conscionable to even consider a conflict Mm -hmm. and I think Ireland has a crucial role to play actually as a neutral non-aligned country Mm -hmm. and now that we have a seat on the Security Council under the wonderful leadership of our Ambassador Geraldine Nathan-Byrne we could have a huge impact in pulling this But the problem with the Security Council lady as you know is that Russia has a veto I I, I know but at the same Joe I swear to God And they veto everything No that doesn't Joe, suit we, them. We, we still have to work on dialogue, dialogue, diplomacy. Mm. And like in a sense, 
That's why our organisation is still in Ukraine, despite okay. you know the, the, the conflict there at the moment. And we had to take a calculated risk just last week mm-hmm. to bring forward... Um, by six months, actually, a planned cardiac surgical mission, like many of your listeners yeah. may have seen on RT News Christmas week, when we got a cardiac mission in, which saved the lives of dozens of children. Because what's at stake here, Joe? It's not. I'm not about the politics here. It's that there are innocent children's okay. lives at yeah. stake, and it's a shame when politics once again negatively impacts on the care of ordinary people. And it is the people that in every war that has ever happened, it's the people end up paying the price. And have you noticed changes in uh, Ukraine over the last few years? Obviously, they're very... He annexed the Crimea. On yeah, well, there. I, yes, I was. I, I. I mean, I have to say, I have you know a first-hand awareness of the upheaval that was created by the initial, you know, annex, annexing mm. of uh, or invasion, occupation, whatever language you want to use around it, into eastern uh, Ukraine, and and the upheaval for people, tens of thousands of refugees. You know, I went down in solidarity to meet. There was nothing I could do for them. But we did provide some surgeries for children where the hospitals in that region had been bombed to oblivion and they were no longer able to give children any hospital treatments. So we took them in um, in okay. an area on the verges of, of that reason at the time. And it's, it's also, Joe, when we see history repeating itself. But I really think that this is when Ireland can stand up and do the noble thing. It would be easy to say this guy is wrong and this, you know, or somebody else is right. My job is a humanitarian one, mm. and it is the one where we look at working with quiet diplomacy. I've already notified the Irish ambassador um, to Ukraine, who's a wonderful woman based in Kiev, and she's there as a backup for our team of surgeons. Let's remember, these guys are out there doing life-saving surgeries. And these are surgeons, children would is die. this surgeons based in Ireland who've gone out? No, these surgeons on this mission are not Irish. It's funded actually by the funds that people kindly uh, donated uh, okay. to us Christmas week, and and we've been doing this for almost the, you know almost four decades now, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe. And like these children cannot live with this condition, but they will die with this condition without intervention. Now we were stopped by COVID for two years, oh God, and yeah. we were determined that uh, you know we weren't going to let sort of man-made problems um, you know, interfere mm. with the rights of children, really, to, to life. And I am just hoping... And have you, have you been in... Sorry, Jade. Have you yeah. been in the Ukraine recently? Well, I was to go on this course, mission, Joe, yeah. actually, but, um, like, I would be kind of an unnecessary person there because I'm not yeah, okay. a surgeon or a nurse. I'm there to do the humanitarian yeah, bit, the yeah. logistics, the operational stuff, and in solidarity with the people of that entire region because, like radiation, which knows no boundaries, mm-hmm. whether they were Russian, Ukrainian or Belarusian, war is the same. This conflict will not stick within yeah. a tight, confined area. And given the weaponry, the weapons of mass destruction that are out there, like it's may God help the world, not just Ukraine. So we have to really approach this um, pragmatically, but also uh, approach it with a global perspective um, and that we, you know, we cannot let this escalate and we've got to take it to the jaw, jaw, jaw time, mm-hmm. which is dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. We have to prevent, we have to be determined to stop this 
from escalating. But can you? Have, I, I, I'm, I'm, there was yeah. talks on on Friday with yes. the U.S. Secretary of State and the um, Foreign Minister of uh, Russia that they didn't seem to go anywhere. There's now call for yeah. talks on Wednesday, but I don't know whether you've seen the new uh, film on Netflix, Munich, based on the. Uh, Neville Chamberlain going to Munich to try and get a deal out of uh, Hitler and then that piece of paper yeah. he waved. But it wasn't, the deal wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Can you oh, trust, no, that's true. Can you uh, trust Putin? I, look, we could say that in any conflict situation that we look at and rather than say you can't trust him but you can trust him, like there's, I'd say plague on all their houses because all of them, mm. all of the countries involved have blood on their hands, north, south, east, west. And I'm just thinking of the likes of people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the likes of people like Nelson Mandela, who through the power of their, um, you know, through their, of their vocal cords and their intellect, mm-hmm. you know, they managed, and like peace in Northern Ireland, you know, and, and the roles played there by the Good Friday Agreement, etc. Like, war never solves, uh, solves a conflict. Oh, no, no, no. And it, it leads to another yeah. war, Joe, and we can see that the First World War went to the Second World War, the Second World War went into proxy wars all over the world, and it's the people in the developing world who pay the price for those proxy wars. We, as ordinary citizens, have to raise our voices and call for peace and say, not in our name. We do well, not want to raise our voices. What do we do? Do we go out? Well, do we go out to the Russian embassy this evening? No, I, I don't think it, it, it's just... I, no, I actually think we can appeal to our diplomats. We can appeal to our okay. president, who's a, a man of great insight and who's a man who's a great um, non-violent believer and, you know, and okay, has a great okay. political mind. But even, but Adie, even going back to the, the HSE cyber attack there, which people have forgotten, but catastrophic, you know, it would have been catastrophic at any time, but catastrophic in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, that that was, was well known that the, the actors who were running those uh, cyber attacks were based in Russia. And oh, they had, yes. and, but Putin did nothing about them. Yes. Nothing, nothing. Joe, rather than, I swear to God now, rather than going down th- th- that sort of rabbit, rabbit hole, hole. Okay, okay, that okay. kind of thing happens in every single country. If you look at America, if we saw the, you know, the American election issues uh, over, you know, the past one or two elections, it happens, you know, unfortunately this, is the territory of politics and power. But okay. I'm calling okay. let, on let, all well, the good heads. Jersey well, Mason Byrne being one of them, our okay. own Minister for Foreign Affairs being another. These are the guys that have the skills of dis- diplomacy okay. to okay. deflect stay, this situation. Stay there, A.D. Roach, please, children uh, of Chernobyl. Olga, Olga is in Ukraine and has contacts us. Where are you in Ukraine, Olga? And what is the situation? Hello, Olga. Okay, quick break, and oh, that wasn't a cyber attack. Joe at RTE.ie. Live line on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Discover our 2 to 1 offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to Kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And we're talking about the situation in Ukraine as it unfolds. It began with a marine biologist, uh, Sean, uh, who, Sean O'Callaghan, who contacted us. And he was saying that what hasn't been taken into account, this massive Russian exercise, which is taking place, as I say, closer to Kerry than Kinsale is to Dublin in two weeks hence, will cause catastrophic, they're his words, catastrophic 
have a catastrophic impa- impact on marine life. It isn't in Irish territorial waters, obviously, because then they'd be invading us. But there, it's in waters that are in Irish airspace, controlled by uh, the, uh, the Irish Aviation Authority. And they're going to have to divert a lot of aircraft because of this firing of live missiles. But Sean was highlighting the marine life. Now, Olga is in Mariboro in Ukraine, 40 kilometres from the Russian border. What's the situation there now, Olga? Uh, hello. The um, situation is more or less calm, but uh, some days ago I have heard uh, sounds of shooting here. And where was the shooting coming from, do you know? Uh, from the borderline side. Okay. And what is our, how are, whereabouts are you, are you in Ukraine? Uh, Ukraine, Mariupol, it's uh, 40 or 30 kilometers from a borderline, from a temporary uh, occupied territories. And are you near Donetsk, for example? Yes, yes. Donetsk is uh, one and a half an hour from here. But Donetsk is now controlled but, by, by the Russian-backed yes. rebels, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's true. And Mariupol is uh, under control of Ukraine. It's uh, Donetsk. It used to be the main city of the region, and Mariupol now it's the uh, main city because it's oh, Ukrainian. So, so it's, uh, basically, Donetsk is now effectively under the control of the Russian-backed rebels. So Mari- yes, Mariupol, yes. Mariupol has taken over as the the main city in that region, controlled by Ukraine. Yes. Now, Olga, uh, I read some opinion polls where the majority of the Ukrainian people um, are against, uh, obviously, Russia coming back in. But what would people do? Has there been a mobilisation of the reserve, of the army? Are people not as worried as we thought they might be? So we have a lot of soldiers here. Okay. So uh, here is very safe for now. And uh, it used, uh, used to be not safe when it was uh, all started because uh, we uh, woke up uh, from the sounds of shooting and uh, our walls and our windows was uh, shaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? Because of, uh, and, and are people afraid, Olga? No, wor- we got used to it, this situation. We were afraid from the beginning, but we uh, already got used to this. And if Russia did invade... What do you think the reaction would be? Yeah, this would be negative reaction, of course. But, but because uh, so, some people was oriented more to Russia, but uh, who mm. uh, wanted uh, they moved to to Russia. A lot of people moved to Russia because yeah, of this political situation. That's and, and as we know, Russia. I know there's different. Uh, ethnicities there, but Russia, when they, when they uh, after the Second World War, when they took over Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and indeed the interests in Poland and, the, and the Eastern Europe and obviously Ukraine was part of the USSR, um, they did move Russian people into the area and they had very senior positions. But I'm just looking, Olga, at the, the size of the Ukrainian army, which is, which is just over one million troops, uh, about a quarter of a million of them are active and, and then the rest would be reserves. But th- Russia has three million troops. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine has 67 fighter aircraft and Russia has 1,500. 
Ukraine has 34 attack helicopters. Russia has 538. Uh, Ukraine has 2,500 tanks. And Russia has 13,000 tanks. Uh, armoured vehicles, 11,000 Ukraine, 30,000 uh, Russia. Uh, towed artillery, as it's called, 2,000 Ukraine, 5,000 Russia. War, warships, smaller warships, um, Ukraine is 13, Russia 214. If, 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 God forbid, the Russians did invade, you would not be able to defend yourselves. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But I don't think uh, Russia will do this. You don't think they'll do it? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so, say with us, Olga, please. Martin Kay has contacted us. He's a former... He's based in Cork. He's a former intelligence officer with the Ministry of Defence in London. I know it's three decades ago. Martin, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good. Let's try and get a better line from the... The, uh, no, the Joe, line, Joe, the line from you... I'm sorry from... to cut over you. It's probably my voice. I okay. have a damaged voice box. I'm okay. Okay, well then, that's that's absolutely fine. Martin, um, what do you think Putin's going to do? Uh, well, I think he's, he's, he's not rash. I think he's extremely cautious. I think he is a cat of the most evil kinds and that um, I, I just cannot in my mind dissociate a naval exercise on the western periphery of Europe mm-hmm. as far away from Russia as you could get with a threat he's potentially posing to Ukraine on the eastern periphery of the European zone of interest. The two are linked. And I think he's just probably going to wait and see what happens when he has his exercise. Already, our minister, who happens to be one of my TDs, has uh, said this will not be welcome at all, and he's gone as far as he may diplomatically go, one of the things. But there's not a lot much further he can go um, Europe has to take this up. And I doubt very much if Europe is going to do much more than sort of rattle some tin cans and say, you mustn't do mm. this. And he will say, aha, they won't go too far. Therefore, I can push a bit further in Ukraine because I can already judge what their reaction will be in Ukraine from past events. This is what they're prepared to do now. I can push a bit further. And I don't think he mm-hmm. will push the whole hog and invade. I think he will probably use this as another test of Western resolve to contain Mr. Putin. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does, it does, it does. But um, you, you saw, like, when you say Europe, well, obviously all of Europe, including ourselves, are not in NATO. Um, there's no, there's no effective, effectively, there's no European defence uh, uh, capability uh, NATO in terms of its capability against uh, the Russia without the Americans NATO wouldn't have much to go on and you, you've seen I'm sure you've seen over the weekend Martin as an observer that the the head of the German Navy had to resign because and you know Germany is quite split on its relation yeah. even at its higher political echelon about its relationship with Russia half of them that have left the government over the last few years have ended up uh, on the boards of Russian oil or gas companies as yeah. you probably know yeah. but um so so there's not a united Europe against Putin is there there certainly isn't the whole scene is fractured whether you look at it from an I'm sorry my voice is going on me but exactly. whether you look at it from an economic perspective 
or from a political perspective or from a, a military one. The whole thing is an absolute mess. Putin has one distinct advantage in this respect. He's, he, he speaks from one consolidated perspective, his own yeah. view of what should happen. We are in a total disarray in comparison. And Putin... As you know, um, the UK has its own political difficulties at the minute. Oh, Jesus, yes. I, I really do think, <laughs> as I say, I he's, he's not going to... He's, he's, in a way, he's got a, a unique set of, of, of um, circumstances before him, and I just think it presents him with another opportunity mm-hmm. to see how far he can push um, and to see what response he will get. And he will use, as I say, this naval exercise as far away from the Russian shoreline as it could possibly be and just see what happens. And he might even really, you know, uh, I shouldn't think he gives a hoot about a whale. I personally think they're most beautiful things and have helped some of them on uh, down and carry on that deep job as it's seen at the at the moment. But, you know, he, he doesn't give a damn about that, but he does see an opportunity to see... Mm how Europe as a whole can get its act together and speak with fairly, a fairly united voice on what they will say. And I think he, he is interested in that, just in, in the same way that a chess player or a cat, as I think I said earlier, might when it's playing. Have you ever seen a cat play with a mouse? It's the most mm. unpleasant thing, and that's what I think we're seeing now. That's an interesting description. Okay, Martin Kay in Cork. Thanks, thanks indeed, uh, Martin. Brian in Ratfarnham in Dublin. Brian. Yeah, no, I, I echo a lot of what the previous speaker just Martin, said. Martin, yeah. It just strikes me, okay, that sort of Germany seems to be the key to any European response uh, because mm. they're both a powerhouse in the European Union and also a member, significant member of NATO. And now the problem that Germany have, of course, is that they get a lot of their industrial gas supply from Russia. Mm-hmm. And economic sanctions work both ways. So if the Russians think that the Europeans are being a bit strict with their sanctions, then they could throttle the gas supply, which makes German... Uh, industrial yeah. output driven at this time of the year heating homes okay, quite a significant problem for them and I wonder just how far Germany are willing to go and risk that in the support of the defence of a third country especially one that isn't a bordering country Well, well didn't Germany wasn't Germany the, the main I, I don't know if they changed now in the last 12 24 hours but Germany opposed NATO supplying defensive armour to and weapons to Ukraine I think, what I understand, I think Germany had put a national ban on their supply of German-made armaments to Ukraine. I'm not sure, they, I'm not sure, no, I'm not sure what they did in from a NATO point of view, but certainly there's a national ban on German-made armaments okay, going into defensive capacity. At least that's the, those reports I heard this morning, anyway. Which is, which is, which says a lot. Yes. Says an awful lot. A country so close to them. Um, and as I said, a lot of ex-German politicians who retired ended up on the boards of of uh, these oligarchic Russian uh, oil countries. What do you think Ireland can do, Brian, if anything? Is it laughable to say for, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but is it laughable for our Department of Foreign Affairs to, say, tell Russia we're unhappy that their their fleet is closer to Kerry than Kinsale is to Dublin in the next few weeks, and they're firing live uh, live ammunition. No, I think they have to say it, and they, I think they, whatever forward they have to go and do so, be it the UN Security Council, that it's a good place to bring it up as well. 
um, it is threatening the security of the European continent. Um, so therefore, I think it's reasonable for us to go and use whatever means we have, again, whatever voices we have, uh, to try and um, highlight the issues as we see them. What should we do with the Russian ambassador? Um, nothing. Keep him there. I mean, there's no point in doing anything other than that. To, to, if if they proceed with this, these massive exercises, and as apart from anything else, but as as our marine biologist contacted us, Sean said it will have a catastrophic impact, which will be seen on Irish beaches, into a very rare and extraordinarily important uh, species. I couldn't comment on that. I, yeah. I I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect there to be that level of marine damage, but then again, I'm not a marine biologist. Yeah, OK, OK, OK. Thanks indeed, Brian. Good or good. Um, Kieran McCarthy, Kieran. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, Your point, please. My point really is, uh, firstly, I don't condone any threats of aggression from Russia or any other country against the neighbour, not by a long shot. Mm-hmm. But I have to try to understand position that Mr. Putin and his, and his people find themselves mm. in. Uh, NATO and the EU to a, to a degree have been expanding slowly eastwards over many years. Mm. 20 years ago, the Russian border was a thousand kilometres from NATO. They're a lot more closer now. And I believe that Russia could very justifiably feel threatened by this. And if you prod a hornet's nest long enough, the hornet will come out. Yeah, but it's, it's, hang on, it's, it's not that NATO have been going around canvassing our countries to join. These countries have, of their own volition, joined. I understand that. I understand their own, that. Led, led by Poland. And you know the reason why they all joined. The I Czech Republic, the Estonia, uh, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Poland, as I mentioned, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia. They all joined NATO because of their dislike of Russia. Because they're disliked, but over a period of time, a neutral zone is now becoming a NATO zone. So the Russians feel threatened. But those those sovereign, which only became sovereign countries after the wall fell in 89. Exactly. But those sovereign countries decided, after the way they had been treated by the Soviet Union for the previous 60 years, they said, we're going to throw in our lot with NATO. Now, that in itself wasn't a threat to Russia, but that was them saying, no, we are not going to be part of the Warsaw Pact or whatever as it was then, which you're basically, as we discovered from Hungary to Czechoslovakia, Hungary in 56 and Czechoslovakia in 68, we, they were vassal states of Moscow. Yes, of but the, based, on, based on a geographical location, would it not have been a better plight to be neutral? Well, they've yeah, just, they, but they've decided not. They've decided they don't... They I, I don't appreciate feel, what they decided. They don't I feel safe that. being neutral. But... but but do you not think it's logical to think that if you slowly get closer and closer to Russian border with NATO forces and such, that they will feel threatened and that they will react? I'm not condoning any potential okay, but, but if, Na- if, if NATO... Have NATO ever threatened Russia? NATO haven't tre- threatened Russia, but that doesn't mean to say uh, that Russia don't feel threatened. I have never been threatened in the street by, yeah. by, by, by people, but I'm afraid to go out at night because there's, there's an environment because of the environment that I perceive. It's not what what, what others do. It's what Russia perceives. They feel, I suggest they feel threatened and that NATO should have adopted a much more softly, softly approach and work towards creating a neutral zone between themselves, between the West and the East. And then I don't think you'd have this. this so they should. Said so I'm trying to get the geography in my head, but they should have said to. I'm going south now. They should have said to Hungary and Poland, actually, we're not letting you into NATO. Perhaps they should have. 
Now, how do you think but, Poland? How do you think Poland would have reacted to that? Um, I, I think they'll react an awful lot more negatively towards an invasion of Ukraine and feel themselves threatened. I think perhaps in hindsight, obviously, in hindsight, I think the strategy applied was maybe not necessarily the right one in the expansion of, of NATO. Mm-hmm. And as you That's know... If, my point. It, I'll just re- reaffirm, yeah. I, I, I don't condone... I know that, I know, I take it. it's fascinating, yeah. your point. But the other thing as well is if, if uh, Putin invades Ukraine, the, the country whose hairs would stand in the, on their collective necks uh, will be Poland. Of course, of course. I understand that. I don't have a solution to this, but okay. I think I can understand why Mr. Putin might be... Re- don't forget, he's a former KGB officer. Oh, I know he came that, up the hard know. way. But did you, a did, sharp cookie. Yeah, but <laughs> did, did, did the venom... In, sorry, the dislike in Poland of everything Russian is... Of course. ...is uh, visceral. Because of what because happened. Because we're treated so badly during yeah. the Second World War. And, uh, and I can understand that. Yeah. OK, stay, stay with us, Kieran. Uh, okay, uh, by the way, Poland, Poland's no friend of Germany either because of the Second World War. I think yeah, that of course. Yeah. Tom Crilly is in Ring's End. Tom, your point, please. Uh, Joe, yeah, uh, the point that the last speaker w- w- was raising there, I'd like to come on, uh, go uh, over that there because like we are upset like by Russia train, uh, training off air coast mm. but we should uh, I'm sure Russia is upset that NATO the US uh, UK and France are training have ship, ships going around the Black Sea like and you know so um, we're supposed to be a neutral country mm. but yet like for the last 20 years we've allowed US warplanes refuel at Shannon Airport on the way to these war conflicts like mm-hmm. uh, Syria, Afghanistan, and even Shannon Watch have reported that more recently, like there's planes landing at Shannon, refueling, and heading over to Saudi Arabia, which is uh, supplying weapons to Saudi Arabia to bomb y- Yemen. And now Ed Hogan's reporting that some of the, the mm-hmm. war planes are refueling and heading over to, to Ukraine because they're supplying the Ukraine with. Uh, massive amount of military weapons. So we're supposed to be neutral, and we're not really neutral. Like you know, so if our uh, foreign affairs minister says he's upset at Russia uh, training off a coast, he should stop the U.S. military planes and our contractor planes landing at Shannon Airport to be truly neutral. And we yeah, but, then, but, but the, 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 yeah, but the American troops are getting out. Of, they're unarmed, obviously, and when they're walking around Shannon Airport, they're getting out of uh, at the planes in in Shannon, and they're going in to buy Irish coffees and Irish whiskey. They're not shooting up the place the <laughs> well, way the way the way the Russians will be in, well, can, uh, off the well, coast of you, Ireland yeah, well, can, in two can weeks. Can you not see complicity in that? There, that we have allowed three. Uh, according to Shannon, much. Over three million U.S. Mm-hmm. troops land and go off to war conflicts, whether it be Syria, Afghanistan, uh, Libya, Saudi Arabia, the whole lot. That we're alone troops to come through. We're, we're supposed to be a neutral country, and also NATO ships are uh, coming into Cork Harbour and Dublin Port. Now we should be saying to both sides, "Stop this! There, this is crazy war." We have the so European you, Union you, you, you massively see... increasing military defence as well. So we have a major escalation of not just what's going on and a horrible conflict going on in the Ukraine, but we have the build up of weapons and military, uh, the military industri- uh, industry, and instead of our minister saying trying to de-escalate this, 
What do you think Simon Coveney should do? Uh, well, I think he should say, like, <laughs> we're supposed to be um, a neutral country. So for the last 20 years, we'd allowed, we, we've been seen to be part of one side. We're not seen, even by the Russians, much, uh, to be neutral and a fair broker in, in, uh, uh, against war and whatever. If we allow one side, like the NATO, to uh, dock in, air, in, in, in Cork and in Dublin and US warplanes to, uh, to land at Shannon, how, uh, the Russians don't see us as being a neutral country. But you Remember, it, it, NATO yeah. have been training off their coast as well. The same spot that we're upset about the Russians... Uh, well, I don't. In fairness, in fairness, Tom, and I, I see the the laughability factor when I say this. Uh, there's no danger of us being invaded by America or any NATO country, Canada, whatever. Uh, there's little danger of us uh, us being invaded by Russia. But if we mm. were, if we were, well, they're going to be 240 miles off our coast in two weeks' time, playing mm. war games with, with real live ammunition and missiles and so on, etc. But if we were invaded by Russia, who do we look to for help? Well, like, there's an awful lot of war propaganda saying these are the enemies, these are the demons. As far as I remember, and you, you study history, the only uh, country that really invaded us was the uh, Britain, the British yeah, no, Empire. Never, yeah, and never and you were here for 800 years, yeah, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying... Like, no, I'm talking, so about where we, I'm talking about where we are today. It's not, I know, but yeah. I'm not okay. saying, well, I don't see the enemy and this demonization of the enemy. Like, the US and the UK and France have but a long no, history yeah, but of invading no, countries. Like, yeah, but you know, I, I, so, I understand that, but they haven't invaded us. I know the UK did for 800 years, yeah, yeah, but they're but, long, but they're, they're in long the last gone. 20 but, years, like, look at all the countries they have invaded. They destroyed like, yeah, the but, US, and, uh, and they have destroyed what, Libya and Syria what, and Afghanistan. What you, you know? Well, you can argue the Taliban have destroyed Afghanistan now. Yeah, how did the US there's... not invade that in 2001? Well, the Russians, the Russians invaded force, and then, then well, yes, after 9-11. I'm, I'm okay. Okay. No, but can, well, I, can so... I ask you a question? We are where we are in 2022. Putin has been yeah. in power for two over two decades, as yeah. I said. Do you, do you, what do you think of the shooting down of uh, the Malaysian aircraft that was flying from the Netherlands across Ukraine have shut down, proven now beyond the shadow of a doubt that was shot down uh, using Russian missiles that were sanctioned and given to the so-called rebels. They're basically Russian proxies in mm. the eastern Ukraine. They shot down a civilian plane. What about the Salisbury murders? What about the killing of the, the murder of journalists? What about the clampdown in Moscow and indeed Russia of human rights organisations? The list is yeah. endless and opposition. Every, every opponent, every opponent to Putin ends up in prison. I'm not defending Russia or China or Iran, but we're all told they're the enemies. And yet, to get a balance on the picture, I'm saying that the US, UK and France have invaded in the last okay. 20 so years. You're you know, saying, massive. So you're saying... Go from Korea to so Vietnam you're saying, you're, and you're, all the way up to okay. today. Like, you know, so you're saying Biden is a, as big a threat to Ireland as Putin is? You know what I'm just saying? It's a bigger threat to the world. If, if, if we have a war between Russia and NATO, we have a turbo war. I know we have. I Who survives that? Get your, so I'm just get saying. Your like, tablets. I, I, okay, we've so get, I'm trying to get a balance in the argument and say, like, yeah, but you're, you're, but you're, might be you're, a horrible person. Russia might uh, have bad po politics and a whole. They're a capitalist country there, and they do they have human rights uh, uh, issues. But the balance is so has the United Kingdom, so has the no, US. Not, like, you know, they're not. Uh, you cannot argue. 
arguing now, Tom. Hold on a minute now. You're, you're, you're not arguing that Putin is the same as Biden or vice versa. Well, you look at the, the, the black but, movement in America and the, the yeah, police yeah. gunning them down. They have an awful lot of human rights issues. Uh, black civil rights uh, people in the United States. Okay. Look, look. Is that why so many Irish people want to emigrate to Moscow and no Irish people want to emigrate to the United States of America? I don't want to emigrate to either place, Joe. Like, you know, yeah, I'm, well, just saying, well, Irish, I'm just saying... Irish people it, in their millions it, it, emigrated. Uh, like, Irish people in their millions emigrated to, to the States, up to up to and including recently. Uh, the few Irish people that emigrated to Moscow in the, the heady days of communism in the 1920s. You know where, you know, you know, you know where they all are. You know where they are. Remember the Irish people who emigrated to study in Moscow and they believed in communism in the early 1920s. Where, where did they end up, Tom? I don't know where they ended up. They ended up, up in the gulags. In the gulags when Stalin came you know, along. Stay there, 51551. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Discover our 2 to 1 offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 And Joe at RTE.ie talking about uh, Ukraine. Uh, been contacted by an awful lot of people extraordinarily interested and extraordinarily knowledgeable about uh, what's happening there and uh, including somebody who's living in Ukraine Olga apparently her uh, friend in Ireland um, texted her or emailed her and she phoned the programme which is uh, fascinating and she said they're well used to this threat but she said there will be opposition and she's over near Donetsk which is effectively under uh, Russian control in in the Ukraine um, rebels proxy uh, rebels backed by, by Russia but uh, on the one hand she's saying she's worried on the other hand she's saying we're well used to it but if Russia does invade now Ukraine hasn't a hope in terms of size of its army it's one hundredth the size of as I gave the details but um, I saw lots of Vox Pops over the weekend on the streets of Kiev saying from people in their 70s and 80s what will you do if Russia invades we will go, we will take up arms we will get guns we will Anyway, it's very... Professor uh, Neil Robinson. Uh, Neil, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. You're a professor of comparative politics at the University of Limerick. Um, wh- what's your take on it now, Neil? And as it's, it's changing by the hour, it seems. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's perhaps coming to a point which is the, the worrying thing. Um, I think that, you know, sort of this... Putin has in some ways painted himself into a corner by making demands that um, NATO and the United States are not really in a position to uh, meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so his problem is, how does he get himself out of this situation? Um, does he back down? Um, if he backs down, you know, sort of, does that uh, 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 weaken his um, authority in Russia itself? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, alternatively, if he does take uh, some of this military technical action um, that they've talked about taking against Ukraine, then what's the Western response going to be and how damaging is that going to be? So he's kind of landed himself in a, in a bit of a pickle. But has he, has he a reputation need for backing down? Mm, he's never, I think, placed himself in um, such a, 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 a compromised position. So it's 
it's sort of difficult to know which way he's going to react. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of previously he's taken action where uh, the consequences have been um, uh, very small. Uh, for example, the military action that was taken in Syria to support the Assad regime. Mm-hmm. The West didn't like it. There were complaints, um, but you know, sort of, uh, it didn't really um, have any um, uh, sort of major effect. Even the seizure of Crimea, you know, sort mm-hmm. of the Western response was relatively uh, small. It was low cost in that Ukraine was um, uh, in chaos at the time, so it was an, an easy win, uh, and he managed to live with the sanctions. But. This is, you know, sort of him really taking the initiative rather than responding to events as he did in Syria, as he did uh, in uh, in Crimea, as he did in Georgia in 2008. Um, you know, sort of he's the initiator now, uh, and that makes it slightly more difficult for him to uh, to, to get out of it uh, by by backing down. And what what excuse can he use, Neil? Do you think to get into? Well, he's effectively in. Uh, Eastern Ukraine at the minute. We heard that we had a caller from yeah, uh, from yeah. near which is now from Donetsk, but she said Donetsk used to be their main city in that area, but now they don't go to it anymore because it's yeah. controlled by the Russians, effectively. Well, it's controlled by the Russians, and it's uh, it's in a, in a state of permanent low intensity conflict. I mean, people are killed yeah. uh, on both sides there uh, on an almost daily basis. So yeah, he, he's he. It's a difficult one to to, 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 to sort of call, um, you know, sort of what what precisely Putin can do uh, to to get out of it. I mean, you know, sort of he has an advantage, um, but mm-hmm. you know, sort of he can he can declare victory, and nobody is going to openly say um, <laughs> that uh, he's lying. Uh, but um, you know, sort of he he, he needs to uh, achieve a little bit more than that. Um, I, I think, given that you know, sort of he's the one who's made the the, 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 the demands. He's the one who's who's been the uh, the initiator of this particular round of of, of conflict. I and you you heard. Uh, the President of the United States, his gaffe last week about, well, if it's a little invasion, we'll have little sanctions, which, uh, as you know, Ukraine uh, objected to strenuously. But there, there is a history in Ukraine. I think it's, it's this weekend, 1990, it was a, this is before the actual, uh, their independence, but 400,000 people linked arms in Ukraine on a day to protest about the Russian occupation as they saw it. So the Ukrainian people will not take well to Russia coming in again, will they? No, not at all. I mean, you know, sort of, it, it, Ukraine is a is a divided country. I mean, sort of the, the east of Ukraine, Donetsk, yeah. Lugansk, um, uh, they were uh, uh, historically Russian areas from before World yeah. War Two. I mean, they were actually, you know, sort of uh, towns like um, uh, Donetsk were really set up um, and inhabited by Russians when, you know, sort of those areas were sort of settled quite late on in European history. So they've got a long-standing connection with, with Russia. But, um, you know, sort of uh, Ukrainian identity um, uh, has hardened not only in the west of the country, which was sort of uh, more traditionally Ukrainian-speaking, uh, not Orthodox Catholic, uh, not Orthodox um, uh, Christian, but Uniate Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. much more Ukrainian language speaking, but Ukrainian identity has hardened 
beyond uh, the west of Ukraine and into central Ukraine and in places like uh, Kiev. Uh, and of course, um, sort of Putin is, is, is hardening it even further uh, with uh, the pressure that he's putting uh, onto uh, Ukraine at the moment. So uh, in that sense, he's, he's, he's sort of setting himself up for a long-term defeat as well as a short-term, uh, uh, you know, creating short-term problems because um, he's actually sort of um, demonstrating to people, many people in Ukraine, that, you know, sort of the only possible route for them is to come closer to Europe and uh, closer mm-hmm. to uh, NATO as the sort of uh, largest security architecture uh, in, uh, in the European space. And I know you're you're not historian. You're, it's in comparative politics, Neil. Is, well, is... Uh, yeah, my my I've been studying Russian since I was eighteen. Okay, brilliant. So, now, so so <laughs> so, so, so brilliant. So now you let me. I can now ask the next question. Do you do you see any historical comparisons to what's happening now? Like I'm I'm thinking because mainly because I saw the movie over the weekend, yeah. Munich and in the 30s and Neville Chamberlain with a bit of paper waving it and then realising that uh, Hitler was just, wasn't, as the fellow said, the, paper, the, the, the treaty wasn't more the paper, it was uh, written was on. on. Yeah. 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 Do, do you see any, or is that, is that an over, overly dramatic comparison on my part? Well, Munich is the, 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 obvious, uh, the obvious point of comparison. You know, sort of how do you negotiate with somebody who possibly... Um, is making impossible demands. Now, you know, sort of, um, uh, in Munich, uh, uh, the British and the French um, uh, gave way and, uh, um, you know, sort of really uh, um, betrayed the Czechs mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, with, with disastrous uh, consequences. Um, this is slightly different, although, you know, sort of there are moments when you know, sort of the, the analogy rings a little bit too true. The Americans meeting with the Russians, um, you know, sort of, uh, and, and, and not having a Ukrainian presence there, sort of smacked a little bit of uh, the British and the French uh, and the Italians meeting uh, the Germans in Munich uh, and the, the Czechs not being there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sort of, we, we need to... Um, be careful with those analogies and not stretch them too far, but we need to be mindful that, you know, sort of uh, when uh, we meet with Putin and we meet, and the meeting is between the Russians and, and just the Americans, this is really what Putin mm-hmm. wants. He mm-hmm. wants that respect as a great power and, uh, you know, sort of uh, only I can, you know, the only people that, you know, sort of uh, can talk to Russia are other great states because that's the view of the world that he has, that, you know, sort of great states must be allowed to do whatever they want uh, and everybody else must uh, put up with it. What do you think, insofar as what, what do you think will happen, Neil? Um, I rather hope that, you know, sort of um, some form of words can be found that satisfies Putin, uh, that, you know, sort of, uh, that doesn't give him what he wants, uh, but that can allow him uh, to back down. Um, uh, I'm not very confident that that can happen, uh, or that will happen. Um, I suspect that we might have a a more limited conflict that, um, you know, sort of, as we've said, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. uh, Russia does occupy part of eastern Ukraine, Donetsk and Lugansk, and, 
uh, it was not beyond the realms of possibility that, you know, sort of Putin takes those areas over formally. That, you know, sort of wouldn't really bring him into direct conflict with uh, Ukrainian army, so he wouldn't be starting a war. Uh, but, you know, sort of he could sort of say, well, you know, if we're not going to get these guarantees, uh, we, um, we, we can, you know, we, we have to take a, a further buffer territory. Uh, and that will lead to, to sanctions, but, you know, sort of uh, that might be classified, to use Biden's gaffe, as mm. sort of minor incursion uh, that the West can in some way live with. That is, there will be more sanctions, but they uh, might not be um, quite as stringent uh, and as punitive as, okay. as, as, uh, as, as, as a direct conflict with Ukraine would lead to. They are worrying times. Neil, uh, thanks indeed. That's uh, Professor Neil Robinson, Professor of Comparative Politics at the University of Limerick. Thank you, Neil. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. For more, log on to kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RT Daddy. Sarah Harty. Sarah, you were in Ukraine uh, in, within the last 12 months, from March to May. Um, one, what brought you there? And oh, it's a fantastic, beautiful country. Uh, and, and what part of Ukraine did you see? Hello, Joe. How are you? Good, yeah, yeah. I, was in the, I was in Ukraine last year from May to March, like you said. We actually got a flight to Kiev and we got an overnight train for like 15 hours to um, a town, a city actually in East Ukraine called Mariupol. It's where Olga is from that you were speaking oh, with earlier. Yeah, She's yeah. one of our friends. And oh. I think Donetsk, that region that's occupied by Russia, is yeah. about 40 minutes away. And we were maybe an hour from the Russian border. But mm. we had an absolutely beautiful time meeting the people. We did some great work there and we received such great um, understanding and learning about the situation from people there. But not the side of it, um, the human side of it, where, where we were. I think that town, Mariupol, was uh, in conflict and buildings, buildings broke down and stuff like that in the last seven years. So mm. they are actually working on rebuilding their city currently and maybe they're 40% there, I'm not sure, but they are on the ground rebuilding that rather than focusing on the threats and tension coming from Russia or listening to the news media about such things that might, might, might happen and might not happen. And was there a sense of foreboding among the people or was this just they're well used to this shadow? Yeah, exactly. Like what Olga said, they're well used to the shadow. And um, like while we were there, there were strong and serious, severe threats. And our family mm. were contacting us to see how are we on the ground. Okay. And they were sending us coverage of the media they were looking at in Ireland and abroad. And on the ground, everything was peaceful. And they're working on peace processes really for themselves. What do you, insofar as did you get did you get a strong sense of we will defend. I know there's different ethnic groups in Ukraine. That's a very big country, 45 million people. But did you get a yeah. sense that if, if Russia did come further into Ukraine, that people would defend their homeland? I think you could say that about any country, really. Yeah, I don't true, know what yeah. country we couldn't. But um, what we felt most of all was in the region we were in, it kind of reminds me of the Irish and English situation, the same as Northern Ireland, close to the border, you have Donetsk, mm-hmm. which is still occupied by Russia, like Northern Ireland. And also they speak Russian mainly in the east, they speak Ukrainian in the, sorry, yeah, in the west. Mm-hmm. And there's that division going on. There was people in Mariupol, the city that we were in, 
uh, working for government. Some are Russian, some are Ukrainian, um, and that's how they identified. And they really wanted to work side by side with each other in peace where they were. Um, so they're doing everything they can to stop something like this happening. But definitely, I'm not. I can't really suggest, but they, mm-hmm. they were, had huge passion for their Ukrainian identity and for their country. So I wouldn't be surprised if they would. But I can't say that. Okay, Sarah. Thanks. Any plans to go back, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. Kiev is an absolutely gorgeous city. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it because we don't hear much of it from here. But um, yeah, I would go back to both sides of the country. We were mainly in the east. We would go back and do the mm. west and learn more about the Ukrainian language because we did learn a couple of words of Russian while we were there. Okay, okay. Sarah Harty, thanks indeed. Connell uh, Chauvelin, Connell, uh, apologies for holding you so long. Connell, you, your, your point is about the UN Security Council, of which we are one of the, what, 15 members. Go ahead, Connell. Yeah, I think the, the, it needs to be reformed because I think the five permanent members, it's an out-of-date concept and, and it's in existence since 1945 and it's kind of based on strong, big military power. And I think Simon Coveney has a chance now maybe to look to make some reforms that, that these five people that have vetoed, these five countries that have vetoed wouldn't have that power because what about all the other billions of people in the world that have very little say? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think nobody wants war in any country in the world and, and there's no winning of a war. I mean, uh, if there's, with all the environmental issues that's happening throughout the world with, with, with global warming in Africa mm-hmm. and, and heating up the planet and everything, there's... Well, what, what you, you're just talking about environmental issues. Um, Two questions. I'll come back to environment in a sec, but which of the five permanent members would you get rid of? China, France, Russia, the UK or the US? Yeah, I, look, I think that the concept of the five being on it, it's there since 1945. And you have other but arms But they in also the have a veto, then, yeah. Like, like, uh, like the Food and Agriculture Organisation. They're trying to go on to solve conflicts that, that have taken place. And the five permanent members... I mean, could have done something about it, that these wars, the destruction, the humanitarian destruction that takes place constantly. The UN has to go on, another arm of the UN has to go on then and try to, to build it up well, after all the destruction. So this is why it, it needs and, urgent reform. And, and then, well, the chances of China, France, Russia, the UK or the US voting, them, uh, relinquishing their veto is uh, highly unlikely, I suspect. But, Connell, um, you mentioned the environment. That seems to me the only argument we can use with any effect against this Russian military exercise that's closer to Kerry than Kinsale is to Dublin in the next few weeks, that you're going to kill uh, marine life on a, on a catastrophic scale and we will not. But you're, you're appealing to their, to their goodness, so to speak, but you're, but you're appealing. The Irish argument will have to be about marine life to succeed. Yeah, well, that's that's another part of it. I mean, it, it's 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 sad in a way that we're using the planet and, 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 and that it is going to cause that destruction. That we are the superior species in the world of humans, where the, where the guard has been this, at the top of the pyramid, and yet we have as custodians, we we, mm. we do these things that, that that's damaging the very planet that we live in and uh, and the harmony that we have with with all the other living creatures that feed us on this planet. Okay, I've another thanks indeed, Connell from Donegal. I have a former Irish uh, Navy. Uh, uh, Mariner uh, after the break. Five one double five one. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. William Mines, good afternoon uh, from County Loud. Former, you're, you're, and you're going to talk about debt charges 
um, and sonar because this seems to be an issue. We might be able to get some leeway out of the Russians by reminding them they're going to destroy an awful lot of marine life. But you've seen the effect of depth charges off the <coughs> Irish coast and fish kill. Yes, thanks, Joe, for having me on. Uh, yep. It's important because uh, we used to do uh, anti-submarine exercises with depth charges. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I think apart from the marine damage that'll do, there's always a chance that something can go wrong because it happened before, but it happened with us mm-hmm. in 1962, and it happened to California on a anti-submarine exercises. The, the, the depth charges were a bit, uh, you know, not fully uh, mm-hmm. reliable. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that, but the marine life uh, is going to be in, in, in uh, terrible trouble because when we drop the depth charges mm-hmm. off Cork or off Dublin, I, I could take home a bag full of cod and feed, feed the whole of Cabra for a week. Because, because of the fish kill. The, yeah, because the, the, the but, fish but, floated but, up to the top. But William, I presume as well, now God forbid, but it's going to be a massive exercise, a live exercise. I presume if, God forbid, something happened to a, to a Russian sailor, an accident, that it would be search and rescue from Ireland that would have to go out. Well, I don't think they'd want us out there, Joe. Yeah, but, they're not, but they're, they're, I presume the fleet is so big they'll have their own hospital. Oh, anyway. yes, yes. But, but I mean, if, if God forbid that they needed rescue of any, they're not going to come from can, uh, Russia to, I, to rescue them. The nearest ports are in Ireland. Yeah, but can I tell you something, Joe? This reminds me of the Cuban crisis because uh, it was very close to mm. uh, Armageddon. So, now, we... I was up in the Curra on an NCO's course up at the end of 1962 and that was the time the Russian ships were sailing towards Cuba with the missiles, okay? And we got word from the naval base. We were to return immediately. Now, this wasn't publicised, but they were going to close Cork Harbour and we were going to patrol Cork Harbour because they were afraid the Russians would bring a submarine and submerge it in Cork Harbour. And if, if push came to yeah. shore, okay. they would launch an ICBM from Cork and an intercontinental to New York. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, will you, will you mind? Um, the Russians are coming. Uh, back tomorrow, 1.45. Um, Ray Darcy's next and Lisa Marie Berry produced. Live line on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Discover our 2 to 1 offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to kia.com. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.